Hi, it's Dom from the MS Guide. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you making the effort and taking the time. This is a podcast, so you can download it and take it with you. And I really hope you do that. I really hope you subscribe to it. And I also really, really hope that you can see your way to supporting me on Patreon. I don't make any money from YouTube or podcasting or anything. I rely on Patreon subscribers just to help me with all the running costs. So that's patreon.com slash the MS Guide. And if you can help, I'd be ever so grateful. Anyway, on with today's podcast. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's Dominic from the MS Guide. I'm doing a podcast today because of the sort of immediacy of this news that we're about to discuss. Today, we're going to talk about BTKs. Now, many of us have heard of BTKs. I'm going to show off and tell you that they're Brutons tyrosine kinase inhibitors. But that's not important. The main thing is we're going to talk about a big failure, apparently, in a trial of a BTK called evobrutinib. And the person I've got to help me out with this, you may have come across him. He's got a small profile in the community. It's Dr. Aaron Boster. Hi, Aaron. Howdy. Thanks for having me back. Aaron, I got you on because I wanted you to help me, to help everybody listening, sort of decipher the meaning of this. Because there's a drug called evobrutinib, which is a BTK made by a company called Merck, which most of us have heard of in the MS space. Yep. And it's been advertised as a trial failure in a certain extent. I'm not sure if that's just my words, but it means that when you're running a clinical trial and you're comparing it to something, in this case, a drug called teriflonamide, or Baggio, as many people will know it, that was the reference molecule, the reference drug for the trial. and Evobrutinib apparently didn't show any marked improvement or difference over this. So I guess it sounds like, oh, well, that's the end of it. But it isn't, is it, Aaron? No, uh, there's a lot to unpack. Um, just by way of very brief review, when, you, when a manufacturer creates a molecule that they think is going to be the next best thing, yep. um, they, they first test that molecule. Well, first of all, they test it in monkeys and stuff like that. And then they move into phase one testing, which is just to make sure that it's safe in humans, which evobrutinib was. testing, isn't it? Correct. And then they do a phase two test. In the phase mm -hmm. two clinical trial, which is a full-blown clinical trial, but it's on the small side, is really a proof of concept, both for safety and for efficacy. And the so efficacy means does it work? Does, isn't that what efficacy means? Is, is this working? So, so when you do a phase two trial, you want to see if it works on the MRI. Okay, so, okay. so you, you set up the statistics of the phase two trial, not to prove that the human being did better with relapses and disability progression, but you use the MRI as the metric because it's an easier metric. It's like a proof of concept. Essentially, now, you can put a ruler on it, can't you, to a greater or lesser extent and say, this is bigger, this is smaller. Correct, correct. And the phase two testing for evobrutinib was remarkable. It was impressive. Mm -hmm. It was a really positive result. I know so, everyone was excited. Yeah, I was very. And then you move into phase three, which is what we're talking about today. Now, phase three yeah. testing, we call it a registration trial. So, so the EMA and the FDA will use these trials to, to determine if they're going to approve it to be on the national formula or what have you. So let me stop you there. The EMA is the European Medicines Agency, and the FDA is the Federal Drug Administration. Yes, these yes. Are, These are the government bodies that say, yeah, this is okay for people to take. We think correct. it works. We think it should be paid for, et cetera. 
That's exactly right. right. And so, okay. so the phase three trial is a trial with people impacted by MS. And instead of having the goal be to evaluate the MRI, the, the primary outcome measure for all of these MS trials is relapse rate. Yeah. So ostensibly they say, okay, all the people that were taking um, teraflutamide in one group and all the people taking evobrutinib in another group, and let's look collectively at how many relapses were in group one versus group two. Right. And it was predicted by the stats um, to, to favor evobrutinib. And what we found was shocking. The, the top line data has been released and we should qualify it, Dominic, that yeah. all we know is the top line data. We haven't actually seen the full analysis. I mean, that's but a good it, phrase, the top line data, but the damage is done in some ways, mud sticks, no, all that kind of stuff, no smoke without fire. All of us regular folk, Aaron, are thinking, right, okay, well, obviously there's enough that they were forced to make a press release, a share yeah. price dropped 14% overnight, which is a lot of money, you know? Correct. So, so what happened, the, the, the trial with the first, that, that first top line comparison of annualized relapse rate, we would have predicted that the people in the abagio arm, the teraflutamide arm, mm. would have had an annualized relapse rate of 0.3, which in English means they would have on average one attack every three years. That that's what we assumed because that's the way abagio typically performs when you test it. In this trial, for reasons unbeknownst to us at present, the people that were in the abagio arm had an annualized relapse rate of 0.1. So in English, statistically one attack every 10 years. So, it so was, one, third of, one third of what they were expecting. Yeah, so it was like three times better than predicted. And the evobrutinib arm also had an annualized relapse rate of 0.1. So for starters, that's amazing. So a drug that could demonstrate an annualized relapse rate of one attack every 10 years is considered in modern standards really good. The yeah. problem is that the goal of the trial was not to see if Evo is really good. It was to prove statistically that it's superior to Abagio. And yeah. because Abagio did so well, the answer is nah. -uh. And okay, so, so when, can I can I roll you back a second there? Please. The thing I understand that. I think most people understand that. It, it's equal essentially, for want of a better word, it, it's equal in its effectiveness to Abagio in I got to say, in the way they tested it, in the people they tested and which was frankly, to be fair, a lot of people across a yeah. lot of countries. So this is not um, a couple of men and a dog, you know, in, you know uh, uh, in some remote place in the United States. This is a worldwide trial. Correct. And you got the amounts of money are just eye watering as well. But yep. I everything I'd heard about these BTKs of which Eva Burton is the first, you know, um, was it's all about smoldering MS. I mean, I was yes. at Ectrim's uh, a few months ago and Merck, the company that makes Evobrutinib, you know, and all the other companies were really doubling down on telling the doctors, people like you, that smoldering MS existed, smoldering MS mattered. And I think frankly, from a patient point of view, you know, it's one of these, yeah, I could, I could have told you that. And, and my expectations were around smoldering, but it turns out they weren't even looking at that. Well, so, so let's, Who knows? Let's, let's unpack that. So when you design the trial, uh, phase three trial, you have a primary outcome measure, which is your, the, the number one thing that you're trying to evaluate and you create, you, you, you generate the power analysis. You, 
you you create the statistics of the trial to answer that question. Yeah. Okay. And then you'll have a secondary outcome measure and a third a tertiary outcome measure. And and so inside the secondary and tertiary outcome measures are the things that you and I are excited about as it relates to smoldering multiple sclerosis. Do you think and they're what, there? Are they going to well, reprieve themselves, they, shall we say, um, and say, look, actually, it so, just gets so, me as a patient, Aaron. It was all about smoldering was all the PR I heard. And then all of a sudden, it's this trial doing something pretty standard and, and old and boring. So the the design of the trial, the primary outcome measure is the same as it's been for, you know, I was going to say 100 years, you know, but for 20, 20 some years yeah. now. And, and much to our chagrin, the... The, the governing bodies demand certain outcome measures. And, you mean these, and so, the FDA and the AMA that we mentioned? Yeah, they want to yeah. see relapse rate and EDSS. They demand it in, in the trial designs. Right, the, so you could argue stuff, that they are, they are as much at fault, should we say, for overlaying some pretty... I mean, these measures are not new and they're not perfect and, and they don't seem to have caught up with this whole smoldering MS idea. Correct, yeah, that's 100% correct. The, when you look at the way the trials were or are constructed, looking at things that would speak to smoldering MS are baked into the trial. But here's the kicker. If you fail your primary outcome measure, statistically, you can't really trust secondary and tertiary measures. Yeah. And so that's why there's such a, a letdown when the top line didn't hit. Now, Merck- well, Aaron, Merck I think in, in plain English, growing up, I remember being in front of my parents, and I'm sure everybody has, saying, if you've told me one lie, how can I trust anything you say? Yeah, 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 and yeah, even yeah. if you are, even if you're the most trustworthy person in the world, and you haven't told a lie, if they're using that line on you, you can't back out of it easily. Yeah, and, and they won't be able to back out of this very easily. What will happen is there will be a very deep analysis, and we will yeah. see it, we, we will see the full breadth of it. And many of us, myself included, have our fingers crossed that there will be some very some very supportive data to help with uh, to help with smoldering multiple sclerosis. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it's a bait and switch. I don't think it's as if they sold a, a bill of sales for smoldering MS and then they tested you know then they tested something in a different direction. It's just that the top line data didn't hit, and it's a it's right. a big bummer. It struck me. It was just. At Extrams this year, when all the drug companies go in really big, the massive stands, huge thing, and everything, especially Merck, was all about smoldering MS. To me, as a layperson, it was like they were trying to prep you guys, the doctors, that this was something so that they could then turn up and say, and our drug hits this, and you've got smoldering MS in your head from all the advertising and the promotion yeah. and the stories, and then you're thinking, oh, this drug helps something I now know about. And... In so you're right. Um, it's the tail wagging the dog of sorts. And it's not yeah. unique to one manufacturer. All manufacturers right now um, who are involved in this space, and quite frankly, many of us neurologists have all have all really gotten very excited about what we think will be the next wave of innovation impacting the central compartment inside the brain, impacting microglia, which is part of the mm -hmm. immune response. Hoorah. Sure. Um, but then, you know, so in plain English, for us as patients, this is what you're talking about is new places in the brain where the current MS drugs don't get to, shall we say? Correct. Uh, spot right. on. Yes, that's right. right. So what's going to happen with, you know, with Merck and with Evo Brutinip is a question mark, but it's not a, it's not going to be a very good outcome. I'm afraid. 
Right. You know, and is this going to drag down? Because I know Sanofi has got a drug called Telebrutinib yep, in trials. Yep, Roche exactly. have a drug called Fenibrutinib in trials. Correct. Is is essentially is is the is it going to stick to no matter how good or different they are? And I have no doubt they'd argue that they're different, better, what have you. Yeah. Are they going to get tarred with the same brush? No, they won't. Um, right. The the rubber meets the road or whatever expression you want to use when the phase three data comes out. Sure. And um, and what I'm about to say is pure conjecture, but sure. Tolibrutinib, by way of example, has a more potent binding capacity. It's got mm -hmm. a more Im impressive penetrance into the central compartment. And at least, at least theoretically, you could make an argument that maybe it's going to perform better. So on now, paper, on paper, it's better than it, you know. It may, it may be in in some in, ways. Yeah, the proof may be the best expression. The proof is in the pudding, right? So sure. when when the phase three reads out, we'll see. And if tolibrutinib or fenibrutinib or remibrutinib hit in their in their positive trials, they will move forward. Um, and, yeah. and this is just one of these. I forgot remibrutinib. Yeah. Yep. That's and there's also another one, orelibrutinib or. Yep, or that's I can't. I'm looking at it and I'm trying to say it, but that's in a phase two trial right now, isn't it? Correct. That's right. Yep. Right. So, so this is a class of drugs that the main manufacturers essentially have piled in on because you know they've they've all got it, and yep, it so happens that Merck with with um uh, uh has been the first to publish results, and <clears throat> uh oh, they yep. ain't as good as they'd hoped, which is. I know it's not pointing the machine gun at your foot, but I mean, all this was designed 10 years ago, wasn't it? These trials, you know, essentially yeah. were designed almost 10 years ago. The, the um, when you bring a drug to market, it's typically been tested for upwards of 20 years before yeah. it sees the light of day. You know, yeah. and, and when you when you hear that five MS manufacturers, big, you know, potent manufacturers are all yeah. chasing BTK, it means one of two things. Either they're all dumb, or they're all brilliant. And I'll tell you, Dom, they're not dumb. I mean, these are some of the best and brightest minds um, that have been that have been swept up into into pharma. And, sure. and the, the the rationale, the scientific rationale and the phase two data is all pointing towards giddy up, let's go. And this so, is why it was such a shock, wasn't it? It, it was it was um it was a numbing I mean when I read it, I just sat there for a second and stared at it. I think and, holy SH1T was what most people said. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Using yeah, using new parlance. Yeah, no, that's yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I mean SH1T. It's important yeah. to make the <laughs> distinction there. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just I just you know, somebody ran. I got a I got an email from a consultant from a big company, as in they do a lot of clinical trial work, and he just said to me, "What do you think about this?" I've never seen a share price drop this much for about 10 years, you know, on yeah. bad news. And, yeah. you know, I, and it made me think about the patient side, which is how you and I three days later have ended up, you know, recording a podcast. Correct. And it opens up a bunch of unanswered questions. Um, you know, Abagio has been around so long, it's now off patent. I mean, so it's, you know, it's been out in the market for quite some time since 2013. That's where and I was so, going. It's not the most, my view is Obagio is kind of almost like it's not, it's never been the poster child, but it turns out it's been sitting there being pretty damn good at what it does. It's, it's the little engine that could, if you're familiar with that old kids, yep. you know, ch children's yep. story, 
um, or it's almost you know, a, a tank black, engine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Or a black horse, you know, or a dark yeah. horse. It's right. And and really, where most of us in the field have fallen as far as our thoughts on Abagio, and uh, you know, I can't speak for all MS neurologists, but mm. I'll take a crack at it for two seconds. Abagio, <laughs> they love you for it. <laughs> Abagio is not thought to be a heavy hitter as it relates to relapse rate or new MRI lesions. I never thought it was. I just assumed it was not as good because it was older. But Well, and, and if you look at the data, typically the annualized relapse rate is about 0.3, which is not remarkable. That's kind of right. like interferon-like. The ability to shut down the MRI with new lesions is okay, not great. But where Abagio shines is in, is in slowing disability progression and in slowing brain volume loss. Hey, so, as, as an MS patient, I'm all into slowing disability progression. So, so whereas the way that Abagio was studied, going back to our earlier conversation, yeah. was traditional relapse rate um, and new MRI lesions. That would have been 30 and, or 40 years ago. That would have started. But the manufacturers not allowed to market it for a different purpose because it wasn't studied for um, yeah. with a focus on disability progression and brain. Who, who makes it? Remind me again. Obagio. So, so Obagio is made by Sanofi uh, right. Genzyme. And right. Okay. So Sanofi also one of the people with telebrutinib in the pipeline. So, correct. so, so they have their, their new product telebrutinib pitted against their old product Abagio. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now they're why I'm wondering, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And so it just calls into question what happened that led to Abagio's performing so strongly. And, it, it could, it's actually a complex question with a, probably a very complex answer. It could be better MRI, better understanding of the drug, better, you know, all these things I would imagine contribute it to tuning it up a bit. What I'm wondering about is the, is the patient population that's selected. And let me explain. Um, when you look at the initial um, interferon trials a long time back, there were no therapies. And so yeah. when a new therapy was being tested, the tell me about most, it. I was there. <laughs> yeah. So the very worst patients, that is to say the patients that were most heavily affected were encouraged to participate in a trial because it was either do the trial or nothing. It was now, like that recent one about injecting stem cells into the brain, 18 people, but they all had quite severe advanced MS before they would right. even consider injecting stem cells into their brain. And in 20 years, we might think that's normal, but not now. Correct. Now, if you fast forward and you have drugs on the market, so now the neurologist is faced with, I've got a patient in front of me, I could put them on a drug through their insurance product, or I could put them in a trial. You have the opposite idea in mind. You say, well, right. you're really, really, uh, your MS is very aggressive. I'm not going to risk an experiment with you. I'm just going to put you on a drug I know works. And so as a result, I'm, I'm you enlist type thing. Exactly. So you yeah. end up enlisting a different patient population. And what I'm, one of, this is just conjecture, a question that I have, um, and I was not a investigator in the, in the EVO yeah. of trials. Yeah. But if, if collectively we're selecting patients who are much more mild in their disability or much, more, much mm. less likely to have frequent attacks, we might have inadvertently enrolled a different patient population than we anticipated. And so you might, maybe the reason that the annualized relapse rate was so low in both cases in part had to do with patient selection. Now that's complete conjecture and we'll learn a lot more when we see the, the data. Aaron, I, I ended up on a very different 
academic pulse. I didn't go to university till I was 45. I'm 54 now, but I did a master's in research methodology. And, and when you talk, all I hear is my prof, just, you know, my supervisor just taking apart things going, but you don't know this. Has that changed, et cetera? You know, are we yeah. comparing apples and apples essentially yep. and oranges and oranges? Because it's so the misuse of data and statistics just in daily life of comparing apples to oranges. And that's why I didn't want to freak out about this, but I thought, you know, this is not the end of the world, is it? It just means that by the way they measured it, it didn't perform, but there's so many different nuances. Correct. Uh, I don't think this is the end of BTK. No. Um, I, I also think that we have, to your point, we have a tremendous amount to unpack before we can actually understand what happened. And um, at the risk of painting things with too large of a brushstroke, in science, when we find, when we're surprised, when things don't work out, sometimes mm. that's the beginnings of innovation. Let um, me ask you this then, because we could talk about this all day, but from a patient point of view, and from a doctor point of view, there's a bit in my head thinking, well, I've never tried Obagio. Um, I've never been offered it, but would you, would this information have any change on the, the way that you may consider using Obagio? Uh, uh, was it, uh, Terry Flonamide. Yeah. You know, my answer is it? no. Uh, right. it, it, it does not. And do you, you think know, for our, anybody it would change? Well, you know, maybe Gavin Giovanoni now is more excited about it per his recent blog post. But yeah, Gavin, know, Gavin, it, Gavin's moods and excitements and, and stuff goes up and down, I think, with the wind, like a lot of stuff. So as he said, I said, Gavin, are you always picked on? And he went, It's tall poppy syndrome. So <laughs> so, so so you know, I I have um, I have a lot of experience uh, with terfludamide in clinical trial and then in using it for the last decade. And so the totality of my experience is not swayed by this one top line piece of information. In, so if I turned up and said, Aaron, and you said, Dominic, terfludamide, and I went, mm, isn't it a bit old? Would it enable you to explain it better? I don't know. When I say sell it to me, I don't mean in that sense, but to explain your choice better and say, I think you should take this because, and by the way, it's just because it's older doesn't mean it's, it's sub substandard. So, so when I use Abagio in clinical practice, uh, it's never in young, newly diagnosed early MS. It's Much a second or third line of therapy, isn't it? For many people. So, so for me, I use it as a de-escalation. I use it uh, um, when someone, when we need to control the disease, but collectively, the family and I are less concerned about attacks. We're less concerned about new enhancing lesions, and we're very concerned about progression and brain volume loss. So yeah. um, at the risk of sounding um, crass, in the second half of the disease, one might say that the goals shift. Because statistically, you're less likely to have new attacks, but you are more likely to have progression. And so sometimes you, we'll be crazy to be wedded to the same goals today that you were. I mean, what I liked when I was 20, yeah. you know, and what I like <laughs> when I'm 54, I'd like to think I'm 20, but I'm not. And I also have different viewpoints. That's exactly right. And so, so the concept of de-escalation or saying, okay, we need to shift our focus and we want to de-risk the medicine that we're using. And we want to still have high, strong efficacy in these important areas. That's a home for Baggio in my practice. That's right. where I use it. And this right. data makes me scratch my head a bit, but I don't have enough information for it to change my practice. 
Now let's right. pretend that every single trial that we've listed all shows the same thing. Okay. It'll be the I'm interesting thing, won't it? When the other trials report, it's like, what, what are they going to say? Yeah. It's, um, I think we're all going to be waiting on bated breath. Hmm. Okay. Hey, Aaron, look, like I said, we can go around for ages and ages. I really appreciate you giving up some time on a Sunday morning to drop in on the MS guide My and pleasure. just chat about this because all I've heard is BTKs are like the second coming. And I'm thinking they probably are going to make a huge difference, but let's not take, you know, one swallow does not make a summer, does it? So correct. No, you're, you're yeah. spot on. And uh, All right. I, I appreciate the chance to chat about it. Thanks for having me.